Jesus' early life is a little bit hard to track. We know that he was born in a manger, and then we see his first miracle. And what we're going to be looking at today is one of his first sermons that he ever preached. And it's interesting to see the reaction that people had, not only as Jesus proclaimed he was the Messiah, but as they realized that they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. This message was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, January 27th, 2000. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm going to use this just for a quick announcement while the kids are upstairs. We've got a new Bible memory program that we're going to be starting up next week. And the, the plan is, we got some of your feedback. Uh, we bought movie tickets last time, but the kids weren't super impressed with movie tickets. Apparently, you just buy their movie tickets when you go to the movie. Uh, so we asked the kids what they wanted, and they were most interested in frozen yogurt at the Smart Cow. So that's the plan. So we're going to get... Um, Gift cards to Smart Cow if you live in Castle Rock and if you live in Park, um, Parker, what's it called, Swirls? Swirls, so that we thought that'd be a little bit more convenient. Port of call is the method, and instead of doing Bible verses this time, we're going to do parts of the service, which I think will be helpful. So for the older kids, they're going to learn um, all of the Lord's Prayer, so with the little kids, they'll learn the Apostles' Creed, the older kids will, the Song of Simeon, and um, for the little kids, we're going to break it up into little parts. That seemed to help. Last time, some of it was... Uh, pretty expansive for the youngest kids. We experienced that in our own family. A five-year-old struggle and a 10-year-old that could have done it like in a day and a half. So, I mean, we're trying to work that out. We're excited. That starts up next week. As a general rule, we'll have uh, the Bible memory program running at the same time as grow groups. So if you think, I'm meeting for grow groups, that probably means you should be teaching your kids some Bible passages. And then when they're all done, you signed off on it, uh, we'll make sure to give them their gift card, which um, I'm kind of excited about. I might memorize the Apostles' Creed myself, so I'm pretty excited. So we are in uh, Jesus the Man, so we're in uh, Luke chapter 4, and this is a section, we've got like a micro-series that's going on. These are the scheduled readings for um, this section of Epiphany, and then next week we start a brand new sermon series to try and line up a little bit with Lent, which is talking about soul detox. There's some information about it in your uh, service folder. This mini-series is looking at two things. Last week we looked at Jesus' first miracle ever, and if you remember what that was, turning water into wine. That's the first time. So the, kind of the timeline, um, very briefly, would be Jesus um, starts his ministry with his baptism before John, then he goes into temptation. The next thing that we have in the book of John is he is tempted. I mean, um, he goes to this wedding and he changes. He bends the laws of nature, and people are pretty impressed with that. It's an amazing thing. What's he doing in the meantime? Well, this verse tells us. This is in uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, four, verse 14. There we go. Uh, Jesus returned to Galilee. That's kind of where he's from, the Sea of Galilee. They just refer to that area as Galilee. In the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So that's kind of the word, this wave of information that's getting to his hometown. They're saying like, wow, this is kind of a big deal. One of the other things he did that we didn't talk about is he cleansed the temple which I think would have been maybe one of the most interesting, non-miraculous things to see Jesus do. Could, wouldn't it have been cool to be there? Like at the temple, and then these guys are changing money, and then Jesus comes, and he starts overturning the tables and splashing all the money. I kind of wanted to see that. That's probably one of the reasons why uh, the dean of students, my first year in college, this is an impersonation of him. Dad, if Jesus was alive today, he'd be a football player. So I don't know about that. He was the offensive coordinator. I think that's probably why he said that. He was afraid we'd kind of be light on the football field. So he wanted the toughness enough. Jesus would be tough. You guys should be tough. But Jesus was. That would have been an amazing thing to see. 
And then we get up to he's coming to his hometown. Um, does, do any of you have famous people from your hometown? Are you laughing at your hometown or the famous people? You've got someone famous? Who is yours, Dave? Terry Steinbach. Wow. He's a Lutheran guy, isn't he? I think he is. He's from a big family. Terry Steinbach played uh, catcher for the Oakland A's back when they were really good with Mark McGuire and the whole crew. I've got his baseball card. Yeah, I think, so, yeah he's pretty good. Uh, anyone else have famous people? Gloria? You have what? Burt Reynolds. Awesome. <laughs> Any else have famous people they want from their hometown? So here's my hometown. Uh, the most famous person we have, you probably can't quite see the picture. Does anyone recognize that face? Harry, who, well, the chains help, right? I mean, for all photos, he's probably had those in his wallet. He broke them out and he's like, yeah, okay. Harry Houdini is, is not born in my hometown of Appleton of 70,000 people, but he was uh, born in Germany, and when he's really, really little, he's Eric Weiss is his name. We have a Houdini Museum. We have a Houdini Plaza, a Houdini Street. This is kind of a big deal. This guy, kind of world-renowned, he's lived and grew up in my hometown. A couple other famous people, too. Joseph McCarthy, right? Does anyone know this? This is uh, a politician who I think became a governor and accused everyone of being a communist. So we got that. Um, the Onion, does anyone read the national? It's a syndicated thing. It used to be local. Editor-in-chief is from Appleton, Wisconsin. Tony Kubek lives in Wisconsin, uh, Appleton. Does anyone know Tony Kubek? He played shortstop, I think, for the, or third base, I can't remember, for the Yankees when they won a bunch of championships, which is probably any era we name. But Tony Kubek lives in Appleton. He goes to one of our churches. He went to my home church. Really good guy. And uh, William Defoe plays the Green Goblin. And Appleton people stick together. I was at the Air Force game. Here's a picture of me and William Defoe. It didn't show up, did it? <laughs> this was my greatest picture. I photoshopped the Green Goblin with me at the Air Force game with his arm around me, and uh, it's now ruined. So you have to rely on Megan to, to see how awesome my Photoshop skills are. So William Defoe was from my hometown. I've never actually met him, and actually I don't want to meet him. He's played some parts in movies that I, I'm, not too, in movies that I'm not too pumped about. Um, but local hero, now that I gave it away, uh, Amy Adams is from Castle Rock. Did you know that? She went to D.C. High, if you didn't know that. This is, she's the one who sings, like, How Do You Know? and things like that in the movie Enchanted. Is this a new person? I don't think she's in any smutty movies that I know of. If she is, just help me move to the next slide. But as far as I know, you can't play parts like that and do things like that. These are famous people. Now, just imagine, we're going to kind of go through this process that you look around, our church isn't all that big right now, but you look around at some of the kids, and then like 10, 15, 20 years from now, like one becomes a senator, or one becomes someone famous, like an actor or an athlete. When you kind of look back and think, huh, you know, you could maybe see that coming, or like maybe not. Now this is what's happening for the people who live right around Galilee. Like they grew up, and there's Jesus, he's running around, whatever. And then suddenly, he goes off to start his ministry and be a teacher. And he goes to be baptized, and according to reports, the sky is opened up, and a voice comes and says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. That alone is kind of a big deal. Then he goes to a wedding, and he changes water into wine. He bends the laws of nature, and these are the reports that are coming. Then he goes to the temple, like the most sacred place, and he does not like how people are defiling the area where non-Jewish people would be like this. Here's the temple area outside there. If you weren't Jewish, you couldn't go into certain areas. 
and they're out there selling and changing money, and they got all these lambs, and they're making a racket of it. Jesus starts turning things over, and you're like, this is something or someone I think I wouldn't mind hearing talk. So now the word comes that he's coming to your hometown, to his home synagogue. Which, by the way, uh, if you ever think, I don't really need to go to church, Jesus is the Son of God, and he goes to church every week. So that's just, you know, just something to think about. So he, he's coming. My guess is um, he went to Nazareth, and he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, into the synagogue, as was his custom. So he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So a couple... Um, this sounds probably a little bit strange how we do church. It's, I'm always the preacher unless we ask someone else. The, the head of the synagogue then was more like a coordinator. And so if someone who was kind of famous, like a teacher would show up, they would ask that person, would you be kind enough to come? Some churches still do this actually. Um, would you be kind enough to come and talk? So he would come up and then the head of the synagogue would go to the special cabinet. That's where they would have this. They would take out the scriptures. They made sure not to touch them in any way. They would come, and they would lay it out, and in fact, they never, like, we have no problem touching the paper because of the oils. They wouldn't touch any of it. They had special pointers and things like this. They were very uh, particular how they did it. They open it up to this section. Now, the question is this, which I can't answer. Was this the scheduled reading that they had for that Sunday or Saturday? I don't know. Was this just a section that Jesus in particular wanted to talk about? I'm not sure. Somehow, Isaiah 61 is open before Jesus. My guess is, uh, and this is what it's written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. This was our lesson of the day. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the captives, or the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. My guess is, and there's no way to kind of verify this, I think that people would have known this section Kind of like this. Um, think of your favorite section that talks about uh, the end of the world or heaven. Just kind of, th- you don't have to have it known word for word. I'm not going to ask you and test. But just think, what's the section that kind of makes you happy? And for me, it'd be John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And going, if I go, I'm going to come back. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If a famous preacher came to town, I would be really excited if that was the section that was there because it's one of my favorites. And you kind of know what you're going to hear, but it's nice to hear it from someone else, wouldn't it? I'm guessing they knew this section. And what kind of things does it tell us? Good news to the poor. We're going to kind of go down each of these uh, fairly quickly. Of course, what would be the best news for someone who's poor? We've got money for you, right? This would be the best news. Have you ever been in a spot where, and I'm not saying dead broke or something like that, but have you ever been in a spot when you're looking at the bills that have come in and you're like, how in the world are we going to pull this off? And then suddenly you get this news out of nowhere that says like your tax return is going to be higher than you expect or you get something that's your grandma sends you some check out of the blue or someone, you get a rebate or, has that ever happened to anyone? This happens to me like every month, so I don't know how it happens to you. So this is exciting news. This is not what we're talking about here. When we talk about the promised Messiah, we're talking about a poor relationship with God. And ultimately, this Messiah is going to come and make things right. And you know who that is. This Messiah is going to come and give you grace, which is God's riches at Christ's expense. This Messiah is going to make things perfect. Second thing, freedom for the prisoners. And I would love to hear about that if you're in Old Testament. Has anyone been in prison? This is how we do background checks. 
Actually, we just do a show of hands. Okay, we're all good. Um, anyone can work in the kids' area. That's not true. We, we actually send them all in, and no one can without that. But freedom, I'm not expecting anyone to raise their hand. If you've been in prison, what would be the best news? If you've ever been, like, trapped or you've been locked out of your house, what is absolutely the best news? That you're free. Isn't that it? So when we talk about this Messiah, all this is very vivid and pretty easy to picture, even for someone who's small. The Messiah is going to come. You have been shackled down by your sin. You've been shackled down by the devil, and this Messiah is going to come and break these free. I'm excited to hear about that. Uh, Recovery of sight for the blind. I'm trying to figure out which would be the worst thing to happen if it was like blindness or if you couldn't hear or you couldn't talk. What do you think would be the worst one? The best one to avoid, I think, would be smell. I mean, if that, that could be like if you're going to give up four sense, one of your senses and then uh, reading people's mind. That's the one I don't want to give up. So, that's the, so the senses I'm trying to give up. So which one would you want to give up? To me, blindness, I think, would be one of the hardest ones. You know, as you think as your body kind of slows down and you think about how much we enjoy just looking at things. We had a member who had cataracts, and I think there's great joy just to see things clearer now. Just think if you could never see anything ever. And how much time do you enjoy just sitting on your porch and just observing things? Have you ever had it, like, does anyone have contacts? And have you ever torn one when you don't have one available? And then you try and talk to people, or you lose one? It feels like I can't even hear what they're saying. I'm like, And it feels like I'm just missing out on the whole world. Now imagine total darkness. So the Bible, in vivid terms, is trying to say, this is what your life was like without the Messiah. You're poor in your relationship to God. You're shackled in prison to the devil, and you're blind. Now the Messiah is going to come fix all these and declare the year of the Lord's favor. A little bit of explanation on that, and then we'll we'll continue. They had, uh, if you look in Old Testament law, have you ever heard of the year of jubilee there's jubilee food stores that's not what we're talking about so this is the year of jubilee terry steinbach shops at jubilee i'm sure um there's jubilee food stores but that's not what we're talking about every 50 years according to the old testament all debts were to be forgiven and all land was to kind of revert back to the original owner that was the deal here's the problem no one ever did it but in theory it sounds pretty cool wouldn't it just imagine if you like got in like the grapes of wrath or something. You started to get over your head in debt and things like that. And then suddenly you wake up one morning and it's all gone. Have you ever taken a Dave Ramsey course? And he's a big guy to say you should not have any debt. And part of the motivating factor is you watch these videos and they have these interviews with couples and they put their hands up. They're like, I am debt free. And they like scream it. They're so excited that this weight is finally off their shoulders. This would be the same kind of feel. And this Messiah is going to bring the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. So now just imagine again. This is a passage you're familiar with. And this famous preacher is coming. And you lean forward. This is the time where like, you get your iPhone ready if someone famous was coming. And you'd want to listen to it. And then he says this. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. That's how they taught back then. They sat down. Um, the eyes of everyone in the room was, uh, the synagogue were fastened on him, and it began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. To try and get the weight, I don't think this actually sunk in yet, but I think this would be the equivalent. So think of your favorite section about heaven, right? You've, maybe it's the streets of, and the place made of gold and all the jewels. Maybe it's There's no sorrow or pain. Maybe that section. Maybe it's the one that I like, John 14. 
Now imagine I get up here to preach about it, and I'm like, today we're going to be talking about John 14, Jesus making a place for us in heaven and uh, taking you to be with him. The end of the world is happening today. Actually, it's happening like right now if you went outside. Now you might be thinking, oh, he's just saying that so we're prepared. And what happens if during the course of the sermon you realize I'm really saying the end of the world is happening today? What kind of thoughts would you have? Is it ever a good idea to predict the end of the world while you're alive? No, it's terrible. You can predict it after your death. That's really easy. It's never a good idea while you're still alive. You would be thinking, I'm guessing, I'm crazy. Is this kind of universal? Jesus stands before the people and says, the Messiah who has been promised since Adam and Eve for two millennia ago to Abraham, the father of all Jewish people, to Isaac and to Jacob, all the way down to since you were a little child and all the festivals, all the sacrifices, everything that is going on that you've looked forward to, this future event, I'm the deal. And you can imagine the congregation going like, wait a second, is he really saying he's the promised Messiah? So they, they, they start by saying like, they all spoke well of him and they're amazed at his gracious words, but then they start to wonder, wait a second, isn't that, Joseph, isn't that Joseph's son? Has that ever happened to you? Like for work or something like that, you're doing Facebook or something like that, and then you see someone who's like a multimillionaire that you went to high school with, and you're like, really? Like this is the guy who couldn't even keep his shoes on straight, and now he's a science genius or something? Or like you find out that, or um, this happens with spouses once in a while, you, like some guy you hung out with high school, and then they, you see their spouse, you're like, really? And like I said, like, What's the deal there? You're like, this doesn't make any sense. It's the same kind of thing. Like, you cannot imagine, you can't put your brain around. This little boy who's running around is now not just some actor, not just someone, now this person runs the country, like president. Just imagine if one of the kids here became president. You'd be like, I didn't see that coming. And, uh, not so much. You know, as they're stealing donuts, you know, and stacking them, I, I don't think I saw that coming. Right? It'd be hard to imagine. Jesus is standing before them to say, I'm the one. And they start to go, eh. I cannot read your hearts. I cannot read your minds, but the Lord can. And nobody likes to be judged. The difference between Jesus coming to preach at your church and, say, Amy Adams, if she came here, I think she'd say a whole lot of nice things. And we'd be like, oh, that was nice. Do you think she would start proclaiming judgment on you? Like at her book signings or something, if she writes a book, do you think that's what's going to happen? You'd be like, uh, what's going on here? Normally, they just want you to like them, and it's supposed to help, and it's a promotional tour, not like a demotional tour, if that's even a word. Jesus comes, and when he reads the people's hearts, and he sees the doubt in their hearts, he cannot just say, hey, we're cool here, I just want you to like me. He has to say, I see your unbelief. And nobody likes to be judged. You don't even like to be judged with like a backseat driver, do you? Does anyone have a backseat driver in their life? Don't look at your spouse. <laughs> Has this happened to you? They like start tell you like where to turn. I can think of vividly. Um, I might have, I can't say a sister because I only have one, but I might have a sister who when I drive with her somehow still treats me like I'm four years old. You know, like, yeah, that's where you got to turn right there. I'm like, I know that. You know, I've been driving for 20 years. So, you know, you get over it, and it gets kind of to get in your skin. But, I mean, that's just driving. Now imagine the Son of God coming and proclaiming judgment to you. So this preacher that you were so excited to hear 
says this next. This was, you didn't get this in your lesson. So Jesus continues. Surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth. He continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He's calling him out. He's saying like, I know you are rejecting what I have just said. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. But I'll tell you what. Elijah was not sent to any Jewish woman. He went to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And let me tell you something else. There were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha, the prophet. But you know what? He went to Naaman and Syria, which is basically saying, just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you're in with God. How do you think the people felt about that? You don't like to be judged about your driving and you get mad. Have you ever had someone that you actually care about criticize you for something and bring judgment? Your spouse or something buys, gets a new outfit and they're like, what do you think? And you're like, and you're, like, you're crushed, right? We're working on this book. I've told you about this iBook I got on that project. It has been at the designers for three months and now it's come back. So I got like a preview and it goes, it should be out by Easter. We're excited about it. It looks cool, turned out nice. But my first chapter I write and I send to, you kind of just need some salve at that point. You're, you're sensitive. You send it out to the nicest pastor I have ever met worked with him in California. He's just the nicest guy I've ever met. So I send it to him thinking he'd be like, oh, good job. A couple pats on the back, you know, here, fix this or that. He's like, eh. I'm like, huh? You know, like, <laughs> like this is the nicest guy I know. I sent it to my mother first. You know, then, then I sent it to him and it actually, it just like, I could hardly concentrate. And Amy probably saw it. I mean, I was just utterly crushed. His wife calls me the next day. She's like, well, I read it. I think it's very good. And then she gave me some tips on how to fix it. And he still feels bad. I brought this up. I talked to Susan yesterday. He still feels bad that he just totally blew up my whole world for a day. That's over a stupid book, right? This is over your driving. What happens when the Son of God says, listen, in your relationship with God, you're not cutting it? The people of the synagogue are furious. They get up, they drive him out of town, they took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. They want to see this guy die. And of course, miraculously, Jesus just makes his way through because he is so tough because he would have been a football player. Now, that's not true because he is God. He just walks through and no one touches him. But what is our take home for us? It's pretty easy, I think, to look um, around and say, hey, I think all things are good with me and God. What is the purpose of us starting a new series that talks about what is interfering with my relationship with God? The purpose is this. I can't read your heart. As far as I know, everything is all great with you. Everything is good with your spouse. Everything is good with you and God. And there's nothing interfering in that relationship. But you can read your own heart, right? And so what we're going to be doing these next weeks is just to take an ex- a time to examine our own heart to say, is there something that's getting in the way? For these people, something was getting in the way and Jesus had to call them out. And no one likes to hear judgment and no one likes to hear pain. But at the end of the day, as a believer, what do we know? Now is the time of God's favor. The Savior has come to bring you his riches. The Savior has come to remove these blinders so you can see. The Savior has come to release you from the captivity of the devil. And now in freedom, you are here to worship Christ. And to make sure that you get the most out of that, We're going to spend some weeks to say, is there anything in my heart that is holding me back?
Is there anything that I need to root out so that I can even be closer with God through the Holy Spirit? I'm excited and a little bit nervous about these next weeks during Lent, but I think at the end of it, this difficult, painful process, um, you're not going to throw me off a cliff, but at the end of it, hopefully, you can say, I am closer to God today um, at the end of it than I was when we started. That's our goal, uh, because Savior has worked so hard for you. Amen.